The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we're back here. Got a lot to get to. Some news that has piled up. Uh, and then we're going to make our way at least part of the way through the summer league performances for the western conference uh, actually gonna tease this now we'll start with the new orleans pelicans which are probably the most exciting team in all of summer league and then uh go through an alphabetical order after that but let's start with the news and i, and I think uh, the place here is the sad news that demarcus cousins uh tore his acl while working out and uh very likely his season is at an end yeah it's it's incredibly disappointing for such a talented player who has just had now had his career completely sidetracked by injuries the achilles then the torn quad and now now the acl i believe all three of those injuries occurred within 19 months and i mean the scariest one being first is in some ways better because but it but it still is a lot to take in and now the lakers are are in a tough spot because they need to figure out how they want to handle this the the immediate point not immediate like solving it this week but they need to figure out how they want to replace cousins minutes in the rotation they'll also need to figure out eventually probably what they want to do with the roster spot because they could theoretically keep cousins on their roster in case he returns in time to to play but then you lose that roster spot for the entire time that he's recovering so i'm guessing that's not gonna happen but now now, you know, it's late in the center market. And while getting whatever minutes the Lakers have at the five regular season playoffs or both is desirable, it's not exactly a robust market, at least in terms of players that we think of as, you know, really primed to contribute. Yeah, we can talk about the potential replacements in a moment here. As far as keeping Cousins on the roster, one reason to do so perhaps might be for salary fodder in trays. They've got LeBron, they've got AD, Danny Green. Those guys presumably are all going to be sticking around. KCP has a player option for next year. So he again would be able to veto a trade uh, should he so desire. Then they've got Avery Bradley, JaVale, and then uh, down to DeMarcus. I've thought that their best way to improve, whether it's by getting more ball handling in the backcourt or maybe a stouter defensive center up front, is going to be by moving Kyle Kuzma ultimately. The issue there being that Kuzma only makes $2 million. And so they would need to throw in some other salary with him and maybe Bradley and JaVale get them there. But Cousins could be important for that issue. They've also got Quinn Cook making $3 million. So and then also if you're around the trade deadline you run into issues with roster spots when you're trying to aggregate together a, a bunch of salary the other team has to have enough roster spots to receive all of those players and would either have to include more players in the trade or cut them or trade them away somewhere else 
which you know a lot of teams are, are loath to do so maybe we'll see cousins stay on for that reason maybe we'll see him stay on just as kind of moral support and so he has a place to rehab it and all that we'll see whether they think that's more important or whether having the roster spot is more important and they probably do now need another center as well and what does the market look like there now it is pretty weak i mean there there are more just centers around than a lot of other positions but it looks like the lakers are are looking at the reporting that's out there now is that they're looking at joakim noah dwight howard mo spates marcin gortat who is uh currently playing in europe and i'm sure yeah well i i don't know if he's playing in europe i think he might might physically be there that that's a, yeah. that's a fair point yeah and so you know Noah has the most recent success of that group I, I thought he did a pretty solid job last year Dwight obviously missed the whole season Spates was playing in China uh it depending on and, and this is an important question for their front office to consider is what kind of role they want because if they're okay with JaVale starting maybe an option that you do look for whether it's most Spates or somebody else is that four spacing five it is an archetype that has worked incredibly well with LeBron in the past Channing Fry is a notable one they've used love in that space a, a little bit in Cleveland though they often played with a traditional five and love at the four and having a guy like that on roster is definitely useful that was kind of what they were going for with Mike Muscala but hopefully they could get somebody better than Mike Muscala so this may ultimately be a good thing for the Lakers and that now AD is gonna have to play more center and LeBron is gonna have to play more four and it, perhaps they could justify it to those guys which they don't want to do they each want to play the three uh they want to play the four and the three respectively but say hey you know what? we tried to sign a center and the guy tore his ACL and so we only really have one other traditional center on the roster besides AD I mean they probably are going to need someone else you know AD is probably going to miss some games uh, for maintenance uh, or uh, the minor injuries that he tends to accumulate uh, over the course of his career but they have a lot of depth at the four with Jared Dudley, Cal Kuzma, LeBron himself, Danny Green can play some three. They've got good depth uh, on the wing as well. So it seems to me like it just makes more sense to have AD play more center and let all those guys get more playing time than bringing in a center who is not as good as your Jared Dudley or Cal Kuzma or any of these other guys. Salah Mejri would be the guy I think is, is the best player who's still available, but for whatever reason, uh, the league has not shared my, I don't want to say fascination because, you know, he is a minimum quality center, but I think he he's a, can be a solid player and he's had good moments when he's been given the opportunity. Zaza Pachulia would be another one I would look at as well. He stays healthy. He actually, you know, wasn't atrocious last year in Detroit. He can go in and knock some heads, be that, you know, get the Keith Bogans as the starting center. Uh, and then you mentioned Noah as well, who, who played better, but, you know, with Pachulia and Noah, their total lack uh, of finishing game becomes an issue with this team, which of, of course has long struggled for spacing. For Cousins himself, I mean, it's going to probably be a one-year prove-it deal for the minimum next year. You know, he got the $3.5 million this year, got the 5.4 last year, the tax pyramid level from the Warriors. And, and yeah, really just a, a sad story for him in that he was so close to the payday when he suffered the torn Achilles. But also perhaps a, a cautionary tale that, you know, when you are a really, really good player, you can get away with some of the antics that he had, but now that that's no longer the case, it's going to be harder for him to get chances. I mean, you heard even with the Warriors that like, you know, when he would, he would score a couple of buckets and then like, you know, want to be the focus of the offense. Like now we, we got some other players here. Uh, well, it so could, it could also yeah. be a reminder for some of these players that are, and, and a lot of times it's working out for them who are kind of pushing out the extensions or waiting on signing a deal because they want to become an restricted free agents. As a reminder that it doesn't always 
work out. And, you know, that if you want to mitigate for injury, and there are certain players, incidentally, Anthony Davis is probably one of them, who their value is more resistant to injury, but it, it, it's it's not forever yeah. for a lot but of guys. More resistant to the first injury, right? I mean, I think. Right, exactly. Uh, but then, you know, you, you suffer that one, and, you know, Cousins uh, maybe has a little bit different of a body, but he'd actually been very durable in his career before that Achilles. Uh, so it's really, uh, yeah, you, you suffer one injury, maybe you come back and, you know, you, the people still have hope. But now, you know, after this run for Cousins, nobody's going to have hope. You know, it's going to just be straight up minimum deals, I would guess, for him for now on. Yeah, and Cousins just turned 29 a little bit ago. You expect that his age 30 season, yeah, will be a minimum contract and then, or, you know, really close to it. And then maybe, you know, the hope would be, of course, that he has a great year, that he really provide that he really help, shows that he's back and everything else like that. But then you're talking about a 31-year-old center. So best wishes to him. I, I really hope that I really hope this works out well, but it, it just it just sucks, and I hope I hope that changes at some point. But for right now, I just feel bad for him. Well, you guys, of course, uh, are big fans of getting as much NBA in- information downloaded into your brain as possible. That's uh, the tagline of this podcast, and we we tend to go long sometimes uh, with these shows. But Blinkist is a great partner for us because number one, they're all about getting you as much information to your brain as quickly as possible. But they're also about condensing it down to uh, 15 minutes that you can read or listen to uh, with their app. Uh, it works on your phone, your tablet, a web browser. And what they do is take nonfiction books, distill them down to the key takeaways. This is a product that I always wished existed and I even thought of a few times before they came on as a sponsor because I realized I would read these nonfiction books and then presumably, you know, you're kind of doing that for self-improvement more than you are for, you know, just pure entertainment the way you would a fiction, fiction book. And so I would realize afterwards that like, yeah, you know what, I enjoyed reading that book. I, I got a lot of useful information from it. But like, if you asked me to recite everything that I learned from this book, you know, I could do that in 15 minutes. And so I was like, well, why not just have that book be 15 minutes long? Like I can actually remember the information. And that's uh, what Blinkist is doing. Got a lot of great comments uh, about Blinkist. Uh, uh, old friend of the program, Doug Tonus, uh, Bulls podcaster, tweeted me. He's like, yes, this is great. Like uh, this product is something I, I've been waiting for. Uh, and right now Blinkist has a special offer offer for our listeners go to blinkist.com b-l-i-n-k-i-s-t.com slash cap space to start your free seven day trial that's blinkist.com slash cap space don't forget to use that slash cap space url you can get some classic books like the seven habits of highly effective people the four hour work week one of my favorites emotional intelligence by daniel goldman that was a, a book that i read back in my 20s uh, that i thought really helped me a lot so once again, that's Blinkist.com slash Capspace to start your free seven-day trial and that slash Capspace URL lets them know that you came from us. What else we got here coming down the pike news-wise? Travis Lake, the general manager of the Hawks, is they he and the Hawks agreed to a, a multi-year contract extension. He just had you know had another offseason, a very active one in terms of drafting Cam Reddish, trading up to get DeAndre Hunter, and so they're committing to him for the long term, and they also promoted a couple other people within the organization as well 
Yeah, Schlenk not only receiving an extension, but also a promotion to president of basketball operations. Good job by him getting this extension done now, because I have a fear that we may look back on this as, or maybe before this year's draft and offseason, as the most hopeful time for this iteration of the Hawks. I've not been a fan. You know, We gave him a pretty rough grade. If you want to hear why, go back and listen to our Eastern Conference offseason grades pod. So we'll see. I could be wrong. Things could continue to work out, but this is, this is good piece of business getting the extension now when you know he's made a number of very risky moves maybe you could say the trey young one has paid off maybe not um and, and obviously the move for hunter this offseason not having a traditional point guard on the roster this year in brooklyn uh joseph Sai will complete the purchase of the brooklyn nets and the barclays center Mikhail Prokhorov turning a pretty penny profit despite uh, that one spectacular luxury tax losing season in 13-14 after the Garnett and Pierce trade. You really have to go through a lot of these to see exactly how much Cy uh, paid, but it looks like the final number for the arena and the Nets is going to be about $3.5 billion, uh, which includes uh, some debt as well. Uh, he had previously bought a 49% stake of the team at a $2.3 billion valuation. And of course, the league's hope is that the uh, Taiwanese native, but who also uh, is the man behind Alibaba and has uh, tons of contacts in China, is going to help the league continue to grow there. But th- this was an expected move. I mean, I think certainly the Nets' recent success were part of why perhaps they wanted to accelerate this a little bit. I think the previous uh, the agreement had been that Cy was going to take over the team completely by the 2021 season, but it seemed like everyone wanted to accelerate the timeline, and that is, in fact, what happened. Uh, what else we got here? It looks like it had been discussed for a little while leading into it, but we got the formal confirmation that Ty Lu is joining the LA Clippers coaching staff as a lead assistant. Lou has plenty of experience with Doc Rivers. He coached under him in two different places in, from 2011 to 2014, also did some informal stuff for the Clippers last year and also played for Doc back in Orlando. And Lou, of course, was seriously considered for the Lakers job. So there is that element of it, but they already have their high pro, high power for assistant in Kittlefinger. So not don't have to worry about that too much. And th- I think this is a really smart move for Lou if he wants to coach again and if he wants to be a head coach again, because the Clippers will likely be in contention. It kind of keeps him present in the minds of uh, in the minds of decision makers for whatever jobs become open in the future. And maybe he can find out what kind of balance he wants. Because remember, he dealt with anxiety and other things as the head coach of the Cavs before before losing that position. And also for you know the last time Lou was an assistant, it was you know that was it was David Blatt, and I mean my heart goes out to him with his recent diagnosis. And there's no concern yeah, uh, like multiple sclerosis. What that was, yeah. yeah, just 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 tough. And but Doc Rivers has basically permanent job stability, so no no worries there at all. Even though Lou is a championship coach in his own right. Yeah, and one of the things I always think about with these coaching contracts is the offset where Lou signed, I think it was five years, 35 million after that Cavs championship season. So three of those are down, two more left. There was talk with when he was trying to sign up with the Lakers and they only offered him the three-year deal that essentially, you know, he was only getting one more year of payment, you know, at, at about, you know, and I think it was going to be a little bit less than what Gilbert had been paying him. And so that was part of the reason that those talks broke down. 
And now, though, I mean, he clearly wants to be back in it instead of just, you know, if, if you sit on the sidelines for too long, I think there, there's a feeling that you can grow stale. So he's back in it now. Dan Gilbert will get a, a little bit of an offset here for whatever his coaching salary is, although certainly you would imagine that the Clippers got him pretty cheap knowing that, and it wouldn't even be a shocker if his contract runs a little bit longer and it bumps up after these two years that he's getting paid by the Cavs. And we can turn now to Miami where Udonis Haslam is getting yet another veterans minimum contract worth just under 2.6 million because uh, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's getting the, uh, the highest level of, uh, of experience veteran status there on the minimum at this point in time. And you'll remember five years ago it was that Haslam opted out in theory to give the Heat more flexibility around LeBron's free agency. He then ended up leaving and the the expectation was that he would ultimately be made whole. And in fact, uh, that is what has happened. I mean, he's been kept on probably four to five years past the point anybody could have thought he would be an effective actual player, but uh, they like having him around. You do wonder with the success that the Heat have had with their G League system, whether having just another roster spot, punting on that would be a little bit of an issue although and especially when you consider too that this team is hard capped and so they don't have i think he takes them to 14 contracts that are over 50 percent guaranteed they've still got kendrick nunn as well it was only 150,000 guaranteed until the first game of the season. And so they're going to be, I forget the exact numbers now, Albert Namad has tweeted about it, but they're going to be kind of on the knife's edge, avoiding that hard cap and wasting a roster spot on him is not great. On the other hand, you could say, well, they maybe wouldn't develop these guys as much if he wasn't there in the locker room helping to set the culture. So, you know, who, who knows on that one? Uh, Oklahoma City signed Justin Patton. That temporarily puts them over the tax, although you would imagine they would find a way to get back under uh, before the end of the season they're also going to have an offset for patrick patterson most likely which while it doesn't give them space now does get applied at the end of the season that could end up helping them as well cinderius thornwell a guy that i think is someone who has a chance at least there just wasn't room for him on this clippers roster and he struggled to shoot the ball but he is a really solid defender strong guy and he'll join the Cavaliers. No word on guarantees there, which means it's probably largely non-guaranteed as it was with the Clippers. And then what do you think of the Pistons signing Michael Beasley here? Uh, I mean, I don't know that they necessarily needed, especially another power forward when they, they got Markeith Morris earlier in the offseason. Their best player is also a power forward in Blake Griffin, of course. And But, you know, it's, there, there were signings that could have theoretically been possible, and it's a minimum contract, so not that big of a deal. Beasley also, uh, he's going to be suspended for the first five games by violating the anti-drug policy. And a, a nice piece of trivia, I can't remember who had it, first that this will be the seventh time in NBA history that the number one and number two picks from the same draft will be on the same team the last time was Kyrie Irving and Derek Williams on the Cavaliers yeah and one concern is that this could cost Christian Wood his roster spot and that Wood as a backup center option gives yeah. them more than Beasley that would be bad I, if, if that if that's what it led to then sure now I do think that Beasley makes more sense on the Pistons and remember I mean with the death of his mother you know he was kind of it was a lost season for him last year 
just because the Pistons lack scorers and creators, I think he can actually provide some value on the second unit for them, especially if Derrick Rose is going to miss some games. They just don't have guys who can go get you a bucket and keep that second unit viable. Yeah, he plays the same position as Griffin, but Griffin, I presume, is not going to be quite as healthy this year as he was through the bulk of last season. Okay, let's talk a little Summer League, and we'll start with the Pels because that's a, a, a little sexier. We only saw, what was it, like seven minutes or something uh, of Zion in the end. We've talked about just how awesome it was, the atmosphere in the arena, and just how much people were anticipating him. But in this very limited amount of time that we saw him against the Knicks, how did he look to you? He did have a couple of those just incandescent plays. I mean, in warmups, he also did because he had a, a crazy 360. But the the rip from Kevin Knox and Dunk was was ridiculous. It was, it was the type of play that you just don't see very often. But I think it was also the reminder, both due to spacing and due to role, that Zion, particularly because you and I both like him with the ball in his hands, he can he will be a hard guy to maximize offensively, especially in the half court. Transition, he's just a beast. That's not going to be a problem. And, you know, the jump shot still needs a lot of work. And there were times that I thought the Knicks were doing a pretty good job defending him. Now, there were, there were times that he overcame that and everything else. But, I, you know, I had some of those warning signs that the transition for him might not be as easy as some people think. Yeah, I thought what was most illuminating was when they moved him to center and he was being guarded by Mitchell Robinson. You know, certainly one of the best shot blockers already in the NBA. And Robinson definitely gave him problems. And Zion didn't really have the ability to shoot the jump shot. He is really quick. He was able to get to the rim, but his lack of finishing craft, I thought was an issue. I mean, he he doesn't, while he does have incredible explosiveness and strength, I don't know that he uses his body all that well yet around the basket really getting shoulders into guys clearing the space out his plan is to kind of jump as high as he can first and then just figure it out in the air which in college worked really well and he's got a lot of like double pumps but he doesn't get like great extension either and so Robinson got a few blocks on him as he tried to get to the room and you mentioned the defensive playmaking again the thought occurred to me something that we said back in the scouting report that really using him the way that the Bucks used Giannis looks like the the best option and like with Giannis you know I think it makes the most sense to put your center on Zion Williamson and you know I I think he's gonna be too just strong and fast for even a lot of power forwards and certainly a, a combo forwards and the incredible quickness the amount of ground that he covers with his jump stops to change the direction I mean that it, it definitely wows the amount of ground he's able to cover physically there are plenty of people noting that he looked a little bit bigger I wasn't really close enough in my seat I was kind of at the top of the lower bowl uh, to see that but he did seem like he just kind of really struggled to get loose at first he was kind of limping around a little bit and then he eventually suffered the bruised knee and they have and they shut him down immediately um and, and I agree with you too that I think the jump shot looks like it's not even close to ready and I mean it's it's my prediction that it will never be a major weapon from three maybe he'll be able to just you know pull up from 15 or something uh, off the dribble but it's uh I, I expect that to be a big problem for him at least early on in his career do you have anything else in Zion or do you want to move on to one of the other numerous rookies and young guys that we have to talk about for the Pels 
Oh, man. I mean, Nikhil Alexander-Walker was someone that you and I both loved at the lower levels. Going back to first watched him in the finals of the Tournament of Americas, leading a pretty good Canadian team going up against a U.S. team that was led by Markel Fultz and Michael Porter. A couple of star-crossed names there. I mean, that was probably Fultz's biggest coming out party before his senior year of high school and alexander walker was was at the same level uh combo guard you know really profiled kind of more as a two most of the way here i really loved his shooting stroke great kid competes defensively makes plays defensively but i thought you know he profiled more as a role player and you know i saw him at the hoop summit as well and then i hadn't seen any of his college tape he i thought he might be a potential one and done he wasn't he spent two years at virginia tech the last about two-thirds of the year or so due to injury he was playing point guard and people were saying scouts well he was kind of out of position there i mean he looked unbelievable as their main ball handler right that was the biggest surprise for me going back to the i believe it was 2016 we saw him at adidas nations and that's when i really loved him and the guy that i thought of in my head with him with Nikhil was Danny Green and what has happened over the last few years since then is Alexander Walker has gotten so much better with the ball in his hands and he has good patience good vision and he has with his shooting stroke I think Alexander Walker has the type of game that he can work you know more of a second unit primary guy like I don't think he you want him just being your lead against NBA like NBA starters at least at this point in his career but as a complimentary guy can fit in there and then you know maybe against backup units you can you can give him more of a role because defenders are worse and and your complimentary play you won't have as great of offensive players but yeah the skill set is, is definitely there some nice passing vision as well and his handle has gotten tighter too which is extremely important just give you the raw stats here 24 points a game in four games he didn't play the first few because he, he was part of uh, all the trades that needed to be consummated eight threes a game made 40 percent of them six assists and 2.75 steals and 0.75 blocks per game did turn it over a lot for per game there but i thought really it just the flair with which he played standed or stood out to me the most he was hitting very difficult nba step back threes uh passing with both ends he's probably a better passer with his left hand but he uses his length to wrap passes around the pocket passes i mean he was setting up jackson hayes who we'll talk about in a second for some crazy dunks or finding shooters when he needed to do that it just making the right read out of pick and roll i mean he got a little bit aggressive and sought some highlights a little bit too much uh you know the one thing you would look at is finishing wasn't awesome you know the the two-point shooting was only around 40 percent um and, and i don't think he profiles as like an unbelievable finisher he could i was able to get some pretty nice finishes in terms of uh, extension around the room he's ambidextrous as well but that's the one knocking him is he's not an incredible vertical athlete showed a uh, pretty good horizontal skills uh, on both ends uh, and you know i thought his shooting off the dribble uh, was very very impressive i mean he was hitting you know th- probably the most impressive most difficult jump shots the amount of ground that he was covering legally on his step backs was james harden like at times i mean he really is just a craftsman it works on his game a lot and he just uh, like i don't recall a player having as much fun in summer league as him i mean he was just diming guys up for dunks and just like absolutely enjoying himself it seemed like i I was like where did this come from like the shackles are just off this guy and you know who knows maybe he'll never look this good again i mean this is not 
you know, I, I mean, I did talk to some teams that were like, yeah, we were really trying to move up to get him at 17. And, you know, it, it wasn't possible to do it. You know, we were offering our pick and a future first round pick, you know, that type of thing. But I, I mean, as someone who I had always kind of liked a lot and then really was off my radar for a couple of years, just because he's a lower, you know, not a top 10 type of prospect that we were watching a lot of film on. Just real, one of the more enjoyable summer league performances that I can remember. I wonder how we would feel about it because I, I seriously considered watching film on him. You know, doing a mini scout, it probably would have been on him before because we had been so high on him. And I, I kind of liked being surprised by all those elements of his game. But the other thing I want to spend a little bit of time talking about with Alexander Walker is how well he played against Kobe White. That was the game that was really definitive for me. It, he defended White incredibly well, just made, and and it kind of reinforced some of the, the misgivings I have about white which we talked about when we did the bulls in the eastern conference section but that was more alexander walker being really good rather than kobe kobe white being bad and to combine that effort and execution defensively with the offensive burst that he was bringing is exactly what you want and for alexander walker a player who you know even in his kind of his best frames will be you know can kind of do both of those things who can be a defender and a complementary offensive player you know you're not asking him to burn the candle the way that like you would ask somebody like Harden or Steph Curry or you know a real a real initiator to play defensively and those guys just might not have the the energy because it's just too much to ask of anybody I think there's a role for Alexander Walker and we'll have to see what Alvin Gentry gives him it it created a very different problem for me in terms of like how are they going to run the rotation because if this carries over to the preseason and especially if it carries over in the regular season he needs rotation minutes like that for not only for the near term but more importantly to figure out what you have in him while piecing together the rest of this guard rotation for like the 21-22 season as you're moving into Zion's you know more improved state later on. Jackson Hayes aforementioned looked about as good as you could hope for a guy who's that raw. 28 points in his first summer league game that aforementioned one against the Bulls had the dunk of summer league off a pass from Alexander Walker where he flew in on a side pick and roll and just went up just got bumped and kept going up over the defender who's a, a non-roster guy the, the best summer league dunk i've ever seen in person yeah far. i mean a, a lot of people were saying that uh, and it, it was pretty ridiculous uh, and the other thing that stood out to me about hayes was his hands i thought he has really really good hands he played receiver in high school as a football player was able to catch a lot of stuff uh, around the rim there certainly is a lack of physicality from him uh he did not rebound the ball well personally you know i I didn't go back and look at their rebounding stats when he was on the floor but you know it wasn't he wasn't getting a lot of rebounds personally and he also you know wasn't really getting a ton of out of area rebounds uh, especially on the defensive end offense rebounding he he looked better but defensive rebounding was a problem he wasn't really getting great box outs either so that's a, a concern for him you know his rebounding stats at texas were not amazing either defensively you can see just the incredible standing reach the the leap that he has a pretty good quickness uh, also runs the floor well plays hard needs to work on his verticality he didn't wasn't able to just get in front of of guys with his chest uh, force a ton of misses when he could get in position you could see what all the hype was about defensively but was didn't get a ton of block shots uh, in the game that he was in but one thing i thought really uh, was interesting was the jump shot which you know you were the one who went through and basically 
basically concluded he hadn't taken a jump shot at all at Texas. The, the jump shot looked much better than advertised. It did. I mean, Jackson Hayes took more shots outside of the paint in summer league than he did in his year at Texas. Granted, I think it was something like six. It, to he th- did. He did it in his first game. That's true. Yeah, and he he made an above the break three. It looked it looked fine. I don't think it looked amazing or anything like that, but it looked better than I expected. And Hayes, you know, he did only shoot 10 of 18, 56% from the free throw line. But yeah, I mean, that was yeah, a big... Shot better. I think he was 77% in college. So. Yeah, 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 exactly. I'm not, I'm not particularly concerned about that. And yeah, it looked it looked further along than I expected. And that's an incredibly positive sign. Hayes is still very young. He's still very raw. And if, you know, even if it never becomes a three, which would be fantastic, obviously, but if it and it, but if it's a consistent mid-ranger that teams have to respect, that would open things up so much more. And the Pelicans are an unusual team where you have to really think about those sorts of things because they already have Zion Williamson. And so then the spacing with your complementary frontcourt players matters so much more because you have this guy who is incredibly talented but needs space to operate. Yeah, and you know, I'm not buying him as some big three-point threat, but to at least take and make a three and, and shooting these jumpers with no hesitation is good. Definitely very thin. You know, he got ducked in by Jonah Bolden, who isn't the most physical guy himself. He, he just uh, overall kind of gets bullied uh, around the rim a little bit, but he definitely looked like he could be a big-time finisher. And yeah, we said we didn't like the pick because uh, there were other guys who might fit better with Zion. But you know, I think he looked like, especially offensively, he could be a, a big threat. You know, defensively, maybe didn't look as far along. Uh, Frank Jackson, the thing that stood out the most for me in this, uh, going into his third season, is he really has outstanding athleticism for his position. Uh, the knock on him going back to the youth levels, what he sees not really much of a playmaker for others and you know at one point against the Knicks he had 21 points one rebound and zero assists uh he's definitely not looking to pass much but he can shoot and he can get to the basket and he has enough athleticism to be a good defender and he makes some some wild plays so definitely looked like a guy who's deserving of a roster spot I mean they've got so much depth in the backcourt you'd imagine Nikhil Alexander Walker is going to jump ahead of him as well he might be someone that if I were another team I might try to target with you know some low level asset a bad second round pick or something that maybe to grab him anything else that, that you saw from Jackson uh not particularly but I wanted to move on to uh he's gone by a couple different names but I'm gonna call him Lozada Silva which is the Brazilian yeah Didi Lazar yeah Didi Lozada as well that's I've heard a couple different things thrown around 35th pick in the draft 20 year old Brazilian yeah he is not going to play for the Pels this year yeah he's gonna play for the for the Sydney Kings in the next stars program and I think that is a really interesting use of the next stars program because the Australian season ends early earlier so depending on how the pelicans want to structure this maybe he plays with plays in sydney finishes their season and then comes back and is not signed to a spot but is just a you know like around the team for the remainder of the season but i just liked his game smooth smooth pick uh, competed on defense i liked his jump shot both in catch and shoot and had some pull-ups so the mechanics looked good i just i just liked his game i hadn't seen him play at all before and you know he, he missed a bunch of twos only got to the line twice in 108 minutes so it's not like it was a, a sterling sample but you know you're looking for flashes and i think i got enough of those to be happy with him as the 35th pick and being only 20 years old yeah he's got nba athleticism looks like his body is going to grow into being like pretty strong the shooting ability offensively is what stands out the most even was able to shoot some threes coming off of screens to some degree 
pick and roll probably not necessarily going to be there um you know and, and i saw him as well at, at the hoop summit this year for a few practices and the game thought he looked good there as well it was worth being drafted and he really competes defensively and gets out in transition as well runs the floor pretty hard can finish athletically in space maybe not as much in the half court so certainly a guy i think uh, could have a future as an nba player uh, kendrick williams was unrostered last year played pretty much exclusively at the four with this group mostly as a floor spacer he is an outstanding rebounder heady player defensively i think what's really going to be the thing for him is he's got to get better as a shooter he doesn't he's not an explosive finisher around the rim and you know he's kind of been in the low 30s type of all right he'll shoot it if he's open but you also don't mind him shooting it if he's open type of level you know that he's really i think to really have a career really be a rotation player on a good team the shooting is what's going to have to come along and you know the he doesn't really have the lateral quickness leaping ability or length to guard the best guy on the other team you know i think he is you know you get kind of the archetype for him is is your jared dudley sort of player he's got more athleticism than that but nowhere near as good of a shooter and smart player but you know not as smart as dudley but he's he's only very young still but I thought it was a fine summer league for him. Uh, statistically, he was 11 points and 10 rebounds a game in 27 minutes. 28% defensive rebounds. Uh, it was pretty impressive for him, uh, but only shot at 3 out of 14. He was 34% during the regular year on three attempts a game with the Pels. All right, I think that's everyone on, on them, right? Yeah, I, I think yeah. that it is. So- okay, well, let me do a quick read here first. Yeah, sure. For our friends at Postmates, you don't want to leave the house you're on the road you're working i love using it when i've got people over you don't want to go to the store and pick something up if you're watching a game that's probably uh, the best for our audience uh, with your friends postmates can deliver anything you're craving within the hour 24 hours a day 365 days a year a breakfast burrito alcohol i was actually at a party where uh, on saturday where they ran out of beer and they probably could have used postmates to get more so someone didn't have to go to the store something from the drugstore the next morning whatever it is postmates can get it for you they are the largest on-demand network in the u.s they offer delivery from all the restaurants grocery stores convenience stores traditional retailers you could possibly need download their app and browse restaurants businesses track your delivery in real time they've got this little icon which shows what mode of transportation your delivery person is using and postmates is giving our listeners 100 of delivery fee credit for your first seven days they charge a delivery fee but you can get up to a hundred dollars of no delivery fees in that first seven days with our code CAPSPACE. Don't forget that code CAPSPACE. Easy to remember. We talk about all the time here on the program. And that, of course, will let them know that you came from us. Anything you need, anytime you need it, just post-made it and use that CAPSPACE code. Let them know that you came from us. All right, let's go back to the start of the alphabet here. Not quite as exciting as the Pels, but we're going to try to get to every single player who has a guaranteed contract who played in summer league let's go with uh isaiah ropey from dallas the only person really that falls into that category for them so ropey went 45th in this draft played three years at nebraska listed at 68230 and he didn't really do a, a ton for me it, i was really supportive that dallas played him 28 minutes a game they didn't really have a lot of other guys to to look at so good to give ropey that time he had a 49 percent true shooting on 16 percent usage so that's a little low 
or for you know being one of the only NBA guys on your roster. Uh, but what I did like about him, he showed some pretty solid energy on defense. And when I looked it up, it didn't surprise me that his steal and block rates at Nebraska were pretty good. You know, two percent steal rate, almost seven percent block rate. Like I really like that overall. Not not sure that will fully carry over. So you know, I wasn't super enthused, but for the forty fifth pick, wasn't you know wasn't like a, like a catastrophic thing or anything like that. I just when I watched him, he didn't pop as much. Yeah, Roby, uh, I'll second everything that you said there. I was surprised to hear initially that he got $1.5 million guaranteed for this season, which I think is one of the larger guarantees that we've ever had for a second-round pick you know, coming off being drafted. That's uh, about $600,000 more than the minimum, and then he settles in at the minimum the three years after that. And I think the big upfront payment, he is guaranteed for next year as well, but then a non-guarantee in the third year and a non-guaranteed team option, the hinky special for a fourth year. So the Mavs gave him more guaranteed money early on to get that flexibility later on. And we'll see the the last guy that as a second round pick that they gave big money to, I think was uh, AJ Hammonds, and uh, he got salary dumped uh, immediately thereafter. AJ Hammonds, who I believe is still on Miami's books for this year, <laughs> slightly. What what yeah. small thing? Just because I'm me, uh, it, this isn't a rigid hinky special because. Yeah, the second year because the second year has guaranteed. guaranteed money, but it is that structure. Mm-hmm. And as you know, with second round picks, I love the idea of a fourth year team option because that allows you to choose, like in the Nikola Jokic situation, whether you want the player to be a restricted free agent or be under contract at a cheap price for that fourth year. Yeah, T.J. McConnell, uh, another player like that, uh, as was uh, Robert Covington. And yeah, I think I said like the Hinky special, noting that the second year guarantee was uh, not what they used to do. Fine back then. Well, I'd, I'd knew you would be keeping me honest so i wanted yeah, to make sure that i was uh technically yeah. correct oh, one, of, one other thing i want to discussion. mention briefly for dallas cameron Payne was on their summer league team and put up numbers but he then got signed by the raptors so i just wanted to mention that as a part of the story of their summer league because he was a real standout for them it's just that they didn't recoup those benefits Denver, a couple of guys, uh, Vlatko Chanchar, I believe uh, is the pronunciation, it had been a draft pick of theirs in the second round a couple of years ago, now is on roster. He got two guaranteed years at the minimum and then a third uh, non-guarantee. We'd watched him in summer league a couple of years ago. I can't say I followed his career closely since then. He's an interesting player. Reminds me a little bit of George Yang. Uh, maybe you could say he has a little bit more length and explosiveness. He was able to pump fake, get to the rim uh, for some dunks uh, off of one foot. The two foot jumping, not as good. He's got a 6'11 wingspan, nine foot standing reach. Is The latter is a pretty good figure for uh, a power forward. Uh, also showed some ball skills. Uh, at one point, he ran a four or five pick and roll and was able to find Jarrett Vanderbilt for a, a nice alley-oop lay-in. Um, you know, it, 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 he flashed some ability to attack off the dribble off of advantage situations, closeouts and the like. He was able to lead the break, uh, show good feel for cutting in from the perimeter rather than just spotting up uh, off of teammates' penetration. Um, I mentioned that he can get some dunks, dunks around the rim with a head of steam. You know, nothing, he's not going to dunk on anybody, but he can at least get there and finish. Um, the two issues that I see for him, the three-point shooting, you know, he certainly was willing to take it, but 
you know, doesn't look like a guy who's just some huge knockdown shooter. Uh, he was 33% last year in Europe on 111 attempts from three. Uh, he's been a little higher than that in past years, but, you know, not significantly for his career, not significantly over 35%, and that's from the shorter line. And then the other issue is he only had seven blocks all of last season, despite that nine-foot standing reach. So the athleticism isn't there, not a lot of lateral quickness. So heady guy knows how to play. Maybe he can carve out a career for himself, but it, I wasn't like wowed by him. It's like, oh yeah, this guy, I mean, Denver certainly develops players with the best of them. So they know pretty well. They've had a lot of success with European guys, but I wasn't like, oh man, they like this guy screams. We got to give him two guaranteed years. Another player of note on, oh, well, actually before we get into that, that we should mention for Denver, the biggest disappointment was that right before summer league, we we're so excited to see Michael Porter Jr. He suffered a left knee sprain, so he didn't play. Jared Vanderbilt did their other oft injured 2018 draft pick. Vanderbilt was taken 41st overall out of Kentucky. I really liked him going back to the hoop summit because his, his defensive tool are still there. They are, but his offensive game is just so good. He did end up being effective at overall. He had 50, 58% true shooting on 23% usage, and that's a shockingly high usage rate for somebody with Vanderbilt skill set. But he part of that is, I mean, he turned the ball over a ton. I mean, he turned it over on 27% of his possessions, and he was one for five on threes and six of 11 from the line. So players who, are def- who have defensive tools but are incredibly offensively limited have to be so good at everything else. So I'm my my enthusiasm is waning a little bit, but for whatever reason, kind of like with Bruce Brown when we talked about the Eastern guys, I just like Vanderbilt, and I I, I kind of want to give him a little bit more latitude than most guys like him. The biggest thing to like about him is he rebounds the shit out of oh, the ball. Oh, man. He is just an awesome, awesome rebounder. It has been, I mean, just in terms of his second jump, his ability to pursue the ball off the glass, run down loose balls. He's absolutely relentless as a rebounder. Also very aggressive running the floor in transition, which I liked. Um, had six steals and three blocks. You know, how good he can be moving his feet on the perimeter, the help recognition. You know, we just haven't really seen him in like real NBA game action, trying to follow the scouting report, etc. Um You know, he's not going to dunk on you, but he can get up for some alley-oops as a a pick-and-roll threat. They used him as a small ball five a a fair amount. His finishing around the rim waxes and wanes, especially when he gets it underneath and he's trying to power up. You know, again, he doesn't have great feel for protecting the ball. He'll try to use both hands. He is a lefty, uh, but the ball can kind of slip out of his hands. I don't know how how big his hands are. And, you know, he kind of has the, not as bad, but the same as Joakim. Actually, you know what? I I would say he's kind of similar to Isaiah Hartenstein, who we'll talk about in a little bit, where he just doesn't get great extension. Like his hook shot, he shoots it from like way down on his shoulder. Both those guys. Uh, are lefties who have pretty good athleticism but just don't have the greatest knack for finishing but I also really appreciated and also I'll add to he's not a great shooter you know was not really looking to take the three ball kind of shoots this uh moon ball off his left shoulder but I thought his skill level dribbling the ball out top maybe that can be part of what he adds to the game other than the rebounding uh you mentioned he had a ton of turnovers from trying to do too much offensively but you know he's able to grab and go uh he was able to attack guys off the dribble like he had a play where he's guarded by taco fall he was able to cross him up get to a right-handed floater off the glass from up top he had nine assists in four games 
had a nice backdoor pass to a guard cutting for a layup when he was handling uh, up top Futoke in the tho game um you know and he's just very aggressive overall too he had a couple of post-ups or even despite the lack of skill he's able to just kind of overwhelm guys uh, so I thought it was a solid summer league from him just in terms of you're seeing some nascent aspects of his game that could develop to where he's not he could do enough offensively despite the fact he's probably not going to be a shooter that he can function in an ecosystem show some intelligence and then let his physical gifts and his ability to pursue the ball be his overall calling card but there there might be enough else there outside of that to where he could be a player i hope so uh one other guy i want to mention beyond just terrence davis another player who had a nice game for denver that got side by toronto sort of paralleling campaign except campaign played more for the mavs but i want to talk a little bit about brandon good Goodwin. Goodwin, this is his second summer league. He actually played for Memphis last year, but then ha- is on a two-way with the Nuggets, and I believe was on a two-way last year. I-, I liked him more than I expected. He went to Florida Gulf Coast, 6'2", 180, and was really, really well, did really well in the G League last year, 21-6 and six there. And then in summer league, 18.5 points, 5.5 assists on really strong true shooting. I mean, 60% on 28 usage, and it was a lot from two. I, I just thought he showed nice personality. I don't know what Goodwin is as an NBA player yet, but I thought that he showed something enough in summer league to, that I think the Nuggets should be happy that they have him on a two-way. Yeah, and then Bull Bull also, uh, who had that dizzying fall did not play as he recovers from a left foot injury says that he is healthy there's talk that he may take a two-way at least to begin the season with the nuggets albert namato is speculating that maybe they'll bring him in about halfway through the year uh, to uh help alleviate their repeater tax concerns uh five years from now uh next up the golden state warriors who had a a number of guys who may be even in the rotation this season yeah it was very different to have the warriors summer league both in sacramento and in vegas actually be important to watch in terms of seeing guys that could be a part of their team this coming season that's that hasn't really been a dmo especially with the veteran minimum guys that they've been getting but jordan pool is probably the first guy to talk about 28th pick this year. So I'll start with a positive that he showed more activity defensively than I expected. The player who I had heard him compare to most often was Nick Young. And activity is not exactly, defensive activity is not exactly a Nick Young characteristic. It wasn't, and again, it wasn't like he was, you know, a ball hawk or anything out there, but I did see a little bit more of that. And I looked it up, he had a steal rate of 2% or higher each of his years at Michigan. But offensively to me, other than getting to the line, I wasn't super, I wasn't super impressed with where he is right now he may have showed more activity than you expected uh, and we may have watched different games but uh, i went out to see him in, in person in Sacramento. i thought that the defense is going to be atrocious oh yeah it, oh it's gonna be bad i just wanted to mention that yeah. as like a slight positive that at least he like tried sometimes yeah but i mean he is zero physicality or strength also seems like uh you know the knock on him coming out of michigan is that he was extremely uncoachable and does a a lot of weird things uh, on offense you know his ball skills are pretty good the shooting was not there he he shot it very poorly at only nine out of 41 from downtown and and then the other thing I mean you mentioned Nick Young Nick Young didn't get to the room that much but he could jump and Jordan Poole cannot really jump like he's like you know a guy who's like barely dunking the ball when he's out on a fast break by himself so yeah he in theory the shooting can come along his quickness was okay but nothing that really jumped off the page 1.7 assists so he wasn't providing a ton as a passer either he definitely has some ability some panache to his game 
but I mean, I think he's just, he's going to have to become this like incredible shot maker because it's difficult to see where the value is going to come from elsewhere. Who would you say of the guys who played? So, uh, Smiley Geach, Jacob Evans, Eric Paschal, uh, and Poole were the four main guys uh, with uh, Damian Jones, now a member of the Hawks. We can talk about uh, Amari Spellman in a second. But of those four guys, who do you think is most ready to contribute this season for the Warriors, given they're only going to have 14 players and they're not going to have a ton of depth? I mean, these guys are going to have to be, are going to have to play. Well, especially with when Clay's out and they're and they just don't oh, yeah. have the spots. I mean, they're and, and remember, players are going to get injured and have off time throughout the season. So yeah, they are going to need to play. I would say Pascal is probably the guy who looked most NBA ready to me. Also helps that he's almost 23. He'll turn 23 pretty soon. But I would say he's probably the closest of them pool didn't look he didn't look ready for prime time at all and i don't even know like where where his name game needs to necessarily go there evans looked better than last year though that is the that is a seriously low bar to get over and then smalgeach was it was interesting i want to spend a little bit more time on him later but i would go with pascal i think he was the closest yeah i would agree with you pascal got some draymond green comparisons but not the defensive playmaker that green is it doesn't have that quick twitch athleticism i mean you know not the passer. I mean, nobody is Draymond Green. Uh, I mean, there obviously are better players, but in terms of just his overall profile, comparing guys to him doesn't make a ton of sense. But he is pretty strong. You know, I think he can hold up okay at the four. You know, ha- has some pretty good leaping ability. I thought the the most impressive thing was just uh, his willingness to shoot three ball. He only, he only played three games, and, and then moving his feet looked pretty adequate. Uh, and with that big body, you know, I think he's in the two hundred forty pound range. Actually, he's listed at two fifty five. Um, to be able to stay in front of guys reasonably well. Now, is he when he gets in front of him? Is he going to steal the ball or is he going to uh, make a play? Not necessarily, but I think he can hold up there and hopefully can shoot the ball well enough to maybe be a rotation player but of course power forward is like the one thing that i mean draymond green is probably going to play the most minutes on the team next year and you know he plays the same position as him maybe he and green could play together to some degree uh, but but I, I liked what I saw uh, from Pascal. I think, it, you know, for the number 41 pick to get a guy where you look at him like, yeah, you know, maybe this guy could be in the rotation. I mean, you never you never want to believe. I mean, simply the fact that he was the number 41 pick, you're better off just saying, no, this guy's not going to be a rotation player this year. But you know, I, I thought he has a chance. Uh, how about Smiley Geach? What did you see from him? So I had heard about Smiley Geach before, but I had not seen him either really in person or on tape because when we did G League games last year, we didn't do the Santa Cruz Warriors. And what surprised me, especially considering how young Smiley Geach is, he turned 19 after Summer League, is that I thought he looked better defensively than offensively. A lot of times with young bigs in particular, like it, it, you just kind of think, oh, maybe his jump shot's there or something else like that. But he had, had a couple of nice blocks, had some decent rebounds. But I what I had trouble seeing with him was what his calling card was going to be. So he had some highlights, had some highlight dunks, had some highlight blocks, but not like Jackson Hayes type stuff, obviously. And the jump in talent to get to do the types of like to, to do that even in summer league versus the full on NBA was there. And you know, like the jump shot, he was he was four of eighteen on threes. I, I I didn't go through his G League stats from last year or anything like that. But and his shot looked fine. Like it didn't look terrible to me. It didn't look broken. So I, I just don't really 
really know what like what he does on the court that makes a coach say this guy needs to get Ray Gordon's. Yeah, I mean, as you look at it, at his summer league stats, I mean, he shot 36% from the field. I mean, basically, those highlight dunks, he had four or five of those, were basically like the only buckets he's, he was making. You know, he did play seven games, but especially if he's not going to be like a great shooter and he doesn't appear to be there quite yet. He was 19 out of 80, 24% from three in the G League. And, you know, he is extremely young. He's still eight. Uh, I think he's still 18. He just turned 19 a couple weeks ago. Yeah, okay. So also doesn't block a ton of shots. I mean, the biggest concern for me is defensively. You know, I'm not really sure what he does. He seems slow afoot, particularly laterally. Didn't see exactly what all the hype was about. I mean, you know, he's really young. He's got some size. Maybe his shooting is going to turn into a real weapon. He is aggressive around the rim. He is confident. But, you know, I just wonder what is his ultimate NBA position. I mean, he's got to be a center. Like, he cannot play the four. He's just too slow for today's game so uh, i i do wonder that there is a i can't remember if somebody wrote this in a piece or if it was just something that came up with because his his path to the nba was so unusual and that there were there were these kind of two competing theories of whether smile geach was the warriors outsmarting the rest of the league or buying into their own hype and from what i saw and again preliminarily i think it's more buying into their own hype because if to me if you're going to try to make a steal with that one of the basic things to look for would be any semblance of NBA, like real NBA athleticism, you know, like that's the, it can be the hardest thing to make up for and you need just such an incredible skill level. And so to use the resources that they did to make sure that you get this guy, it looked to me more in that range, though you never foreclose on a guy who just turned 19. You know, that idea of like, oh, we found this guy really young. We started him on our system and we want to make through with it. It's like, you know, they, even, even if you do that sort of effort, the player still has to be worth it. Jacob Evans, uh, still age 22. 28th pick last year for the Warriors really struggled I thought uh, throughout most of the way in Sacramento turned it on to some degree in Las Vegas my biggest concern the three ball just doesn't look like it's close to ready and he was five out of 14 which is a little bit better and he was kind of turning it loose well, a little bit more but well let's mention yeah. he was five out of 14 in 189 minutes so it's kind of an yeah, ingram that's right it's yeah a, he's taken two a game and he's yeah, playing it's an 30 ingram minutes 36 percent yeah. of like yeah he's he can make some of them when they go in but you don't have to fear it you don't have to respect yeah the party line is that he's going to be used this year in kind of a sean livingston-esque role and you know, number one, he doesn't have that mid-range jumper in postgame. I mean, he did show some ability to use his body to create some separation in the mid-range. They had him running a ton of pick and roll, was not efficient out of that play type. He just doesn't have the athleticism to me to be great out of that. And ultimately, that's what it boils down to. I just don't think he's quite athletic enough. He's kind of, you know, he's got good size as kind of a a combo wing but i struggle to see what his skill set I mean, he can handle the ball okay really struggled with pressure with smaller guards and i don't think he's going to be able to like you know go out down in the post and take advantage of those guys that's a big part of your offense in the nba but he's just he's so slow he just cannot create the separation he was able to kind of work his way to spots at times as the summer league went on uh, to get some shots up uh, more floaters than actually getting all the way to the rim uh, you know, again, in transition, slow, just does not push the ball up quickly. So uh, this idea that he's going to be a point guard, I didn't buy it. And then the other thing, he was drafted for his defense. And, you know, I still see his ceiling there as more just kind of solid. You know, he, he was not really making plays on the defensive end either. So I, I'm still, he at least like turned it out a little bit in Vegas. So you, you know, if he had to, I had to say overall, how did he look this year in summer league? Maybe slightly better than I expected, but I expect 
expected so little that he didn't do enough to change my ultimate opinion that you know he's just not gonna be an nba rotation player well do you want to do you want to play the we usually save this for a different time but do you want to do a quick version of the would you pick up his option game <sighs> his option was worth 2.2 2 million flat for 2021 for 20 slash 21 and then that would be his third year option then there's a fourth year one after yeah we'll see i, I mean they'll have all the training camp they'll have about a week of the regular season not quite as much this year since we don't start till the 22nd and a, a few people were tweeting me wondering like oh are we gonna get, get all the team previews in like yeah we can start them a little bit later this year just because we've got basically a, another week of episodes now uh, before the season starts uh should we talk briefly about another warriors young guy who does not have nba athleticism omari spellman uh i actually disagree with you i think he does he actually can block shots yeah i guess like he, he can i just don't think uh, he's an you NBA know player. I, he, I guess that's he, true i i made the, i levied the wrong criticism on him yeah he, he is uh a bit corpulent i think that's why uh the hawks decided that they're going to give up on him but you know he does i mean he blocks shots and he's got some natural shooting ability now can the warriors i mean the, the warriors have never really kind of been this hey let's crack the whip on the young players miami heat style and you know get him into unbelievable shape and you know we're gonna take care of every aspect of your lives and just like make you into a player you know that's not really been the warriors player development style but i mean i think he could be better than da- he's a better rim protector than damian jones and he can shoot and i think having uh, again they, they've looked at some stretch fives over the years but uh maybe especially playing next to Draymond he can provide that element I, I thought that was a good trade for them especially because they save money yeah you and I are not exactly the biggest Damian Jones boosters so you know I think it's totally fine no, we aren't uh all right let's do a, one more read here and then we'll we'll do a few more teams and it's funny that I separated this out like, oh, it's going to be a read because we talk about the athletic all the time, you know, even before they became a sponsor. Uh, just there's so much reporting and so many things that just we couldn't be doing our jobs without talking about all the stories that people from the athletic uh, are breaking. Uh, Ethan Strauss had a, an awesome article up this week where he went to Maui with his wife to hang out with Don Nelson and smoke some weed with them. And uh, it kind of started off well and that it didn't go that well. I, I highly recommend reading that one. Ethan is uh, one of the best uh, writers to me on the planet and he just happens to write about the nba so that's fantastic and uh, what do you got coming down the pike for uh sorry sorry i keep saying coming down the pike i've been like on the new jersey turnpike today as i drove from new york to philly so that's why i've been saying that uh, uh what do you have in the works here for the athletic yourself I'm, I'm working on kind of taking a series of pieces from concept to execution i'm working on a, a series related to d'angelo russell and then i'm, I'm writing an explainer it was originally going to be right after it happened on the human trade exception but I wanted to write a piece on kind of like how it works, why it's beneficial. And so all that should be coming out in, in the near term as well, hopefully. Yeah, in The Athletic, it's just you can get 40% off a yearly subscription now, less than $3 a month when you do that yearly subscription, theathletic.com slash capspace. And it's just The Athletic is the place that writers always have wanted to work at. None of the BS, none of the, oh, here's a two paragraph, a monkey could do it summary of looks like this guy is going to be out two more games with a strained hamstring no these guys get to spend all their time writing stuff that they care about that they're passionate about and that therefore you as the hardcore fans that you are listening to this show are going to want to read once again that's the athletic.com slash cap space get 40 percent off a yearly subscription 2.99 a month when you subscribe at that link they just crossed 600,000 subscribers they are hopeful of getting to a million by the end of the year which would actually make make them 
I think the fourth largest subscription news service like in the world. It, maybe that's English language, but that's just insane when you consider, you know, New York Times, Washington Post, these organizations have been around for like hundreds of years and the athletic started basically with Danny as the first employee like three and a half years ago or something like that. It's pretty insane. Uh theathletic.com slash space. Okay, who we got next? The Houston Rockets. And we should probably start it with Isaiah Hartenstein. This is his third summer league and his contract contract is half guaranteed through January 10th. My expectation is that he will make the team the Rockets have. They only have nine fully guaranteed contracts, but they have a couple other guys that'll probably make the team out of out of the non-fully guaranteed group. I, I, I was kind of a mixed bag for me, as it often is with Hartenstein, somebody that we've been very familiar with going back to the Hoop Summit. And average 16 and 9, solid on blocks and steals. But and he's and he's a solid and he's a rebounder too. So you see so you like that part of it, but I, I just don't exactly see where, where where his kind of game goes from here like to be an NBA player he doesn't have that kind of athleticism he doesn't really have the stretch all that all that much stretch to his game so you know if he if he's going to be an innings eater type of center for you that's fine but I don't think he's even as good as you know like the we talked about in the earlier part of this podcast about guys like Zaza Pachulia as an option for the Lakers like, I don't even really see that as like Hartenstein's end game here. Hartenstein did dominate at times in the G League last year he's also very aggressive on the offensive glass he's 50 percent offensive rebounds here he's been over 16 percent in the g league he'll block some shots he does have you know pure center size uh the problem to me is the calling card offensively actually and and also defensively i think other than just kind of being in position around the rim he's no great shakes there but offensively other than the offensive rebounding the three ball i first evaluated him i want to say it was 2013 when he was like a 15 year old in the at the idea what was then the Adidas Eurocamp in the next generation stars program and the lefty even then you could tell like he kind of wanted to be more of like a stretch four type and very similar to Jarrett Vanderbilt like I, I like the way these guys shoot the ball both around the rim and from outside they both kind of shoot this off the shoulder moon ball not very consistent a ton of arc and then his finishing around the rim isn't great so the three ball 30 percent career on 97 attempts in the G League uh he's one for eight in summer league uh he's not a great threat as a roll guy or a finisher either uh doesn't have a great feel for powering up inside. He's got that weird low release hook shot with the left hand. And then defensively, slower feet. I, you know, I wouldn't say he has like slow feet for an NBA center, but it's not something you look at as a huge strength either. So I think he's a guy who might be able to play, be a lower end center in the nba for a team that doesn't have the type of aspirations that the rockets do but i don't see him being able to play any kind of a significant role for them this year uh how about gary clark who was a, a bit of a darling early on last year like what did his stats look like in summer league this year well it was good that he got to play a lot 28 minutes a game 13 points four rebounds 2.3 steals steal rate was was pretty surprising to me but wasn't really converting the threes that's such a swing skill for all of those rockets forwards he was 11 to 37 which is 30 percent and so that led to him having 48 percent true shooting on 21 percent usage well and remember when isaiah thomas had 574 true shooting three years in a row when he was with the 
Kings. Back when 574 true shooting actually meant something before the offensive explosion. Uh, this isn't quite that, but Clark shot 29.7% from three in the NBA and 29.7% from three this year in Summer League. Now, he did at least get up nine three-point attempts per game, which I would normally see as a good sign, but I think that's more just a result of the Rocket system saying, hey, you got to bomb it when you're open. I mean, you know, Mike D'Antoni, his philosophy always is, I'm going to take you out for not shooting more than I'm going to take you out for a miss from three and he played seven games in the g league last year as well and he bumped that up all the way to 30 percent from three in those seven games the other issue was he struggled to finish at the rim in the half court at, at only five of 12 and you know granted that's a small sample but you can see that off of one foot he doesn't really have a ton of explosion doesn't have a lot of euro step game uh he also doesn't really explode to the basket like his drives when he's trying to attack a closeout he doesn't really cover a lot of ground initially he's rarely able to get completely past his man even in an advantage situation he does like to kind of pump fake and jab right go left but again you know he's not creating the separation there uh he's a better athlete off of two feet you know he's had a, a couple of a nice dunks uh, off of two feet um uh, but really no explosiveness off of one foot of I me mean, he had one one play where the lane just opened up for him going right down the lane off of one foot and he had to just like lay it in off the glass uh and he's already 24 defensively you know that's really where his bread is going to be buttered that's where people like him uh, going back to his college days but you know the three ball is just is going to have to happen and there just hasn't been much indication of that which is a shame because it kind of started so promisingly for him and then you know it became clear after a couple of weeks yeah and you'll recall they brought moved daniel house onto that two-way to bring him off of a two-way to the big team and then you know it became clear after a couple weeks that he just wasn't shooting the ball and then he was really out of the rotation after that um how about chris clemens who caused a little bit of a sensation with his scoring i really liked him i mean there's a general summer league thing that small guys and tall guys are really popular taco fall obviously was a crowd favorite and clemens is five nine out of campbell and it's you know, it's so challenging for a player of that height to work. I was a, at a Pac-10 school when Nate Robinson was, so I kind of have an appreciation for that. Also, I'm only slightly taller than Chris Clemens, so, so I have another connection there. But I really liked what I saw from him. So you talked about how Gary Clark was getting up a bunch of threes. Well, Chris Clemens took 11.4 three-pointers per game during his time in Rocket Summer League, made 42% of those, so 24 of 57. And great energy. I think he has enough athleticism, more of a scorer than a passer from what I could see. But the Rockets getting him for an Exhibit 10, my instinct is that I would I would try to get him on a two-way and just see if it works. And if it doesn't, no harm, no foul. You didn't pay him that much money. And if it does, then sweet, yeah, I'm on a two-way contract. You can convert it. You can use wield those restricted free agency rights. But I liked what I saw, and he just came out of nowhere for me because I didn't know him out of Campbell. Let's do the Lakers quickly, and then we can finish up today with the Clippers. Zach Norvell is going to be on a two-way. I just want to talk about the Lakers a little bit because with having Taylor Horton Tucker, a pick that, that they traded for in the 40s out of Iowa State, he was unable to play. So Zach Norvell is going to be uh, on a two-way smooth lefty shooter score out of Gonzaga. Very thin, but you know, really the three-pointer is the calling card. It got up seven a game, hit 38% of those across the seven games of Summer League. They played in, in Sacramento uh, as well. It did show a little more passing vision uh, at three assist but definitely was a guy that you really felt like all right we can't leave this guy open very smooth shooter looked to have no trouble with the the nba line Uh, obviously the defense physicality athleticism those are the things that that are gonna be the questions there 
And then I'll talk very briefly about this guy, uh, Devante Kaycock. I just thought he was interesting. Kaycock is spelled C-A-C-O-K out of UNC Wilmington. Had a really interesting college stat line. He shot 80%. Oh, you know what? That must have been a typo because I think they, they fixed it now. I had that in my notes. Oh yeah, he once shot 80%. His sophomore year, he shot 80% on 230 attempts from the field. He's just a very undersized, you know, think kind of like a Ronaldo Balkman type, but 6'7", 240, and was just really one of the highest energy guys in the summer league. 16% offensive rebounds. Got a ton of steals, but just really stood out with this hustle. And, you know, I don't know that he's got much range away from the rim, but maybe it's possible that he could carve out a career for himself as a very small ball center type of guy. Uh, I just really, especially because I saw that team a few times, they didn't have a ton of prospects. Maybe that's the only reason he stood out. But I, I was just really impressed by how hard he played. I thought it, it deserved a mention. Let's finish up here with the Clippers now. So the Clippers were able to acquire the 27th pick that became Mufon to Cabangele, and I liked what I saw from him overall. He showed a, a player that I was totally unfamiliar with out of Florida State, didn't watch any Florida State this past year, and the Clippers drafted two guys from there, so it would have been useful for those purposes. Cabangele averaged 17 and 8, and then 1.5 blocks in 26 minutes a game. My favorite play that he had was one, I think it was in their second game, where he blocked a shot off the backboard, recovered it himself, and then threw it ahead pretty quickly on an outlet for a dunk. It's not this it's not the type of play that a lot of guys can make just to to wheel around and see the pass now it was an outlier was the best thing I saw from from him the entire week plus I was there but I like that and I also like that Cabangeli not only did he shoot 44 percent 7 to 16 on threes but he shot 30 percent 37 percent in college so not not a huge sample at Florida State but still enough to make you think okay he can do this yeah the the 22 year old uh, Canadian national uh, has true center size was very willing to shoot the three ball uh, as mentioned I mean it didn't look like you know just a very easy ball necessarily and he had a, a few misses that looked like way off uh likes to pop a little bit more than rolling but look capable handling the ball up top in some dho situations inside the arc the finishing wasn't amazing I, I hoped for a little more touch i think he was able to get some good looks at the rim out of pick and roll or uh, also likes to pump fake and drive to his left off of that three ball but he kind of just blew some bunnies but it wasn't a case of like he's getting to the rim and he's really well contested and that's what's making him miss it was more just he was open and he just didn't have the touch at that particular time so that could have just been bad luck we'll see whether that continues to be an issue for him uh i thought that he showed something defensively with you know not like quick choppy feet but he's able to kind of move his feet control the angles Sorry about that. I just hit my mic stand. He's able to move his feet, control the angles, and also like close out to the three-point line. He had one sequence where he closed out to three, forced the guy off the line, slid with them, and then the guy went up for a layup and just got it blocked into oblivion. Pretty impressive play. He's not an incredibly quick jumper, but he can kind of load up and get up there when it, when he's got a little time on either end of the floor. So he did only have two assists he's not like gonna be just operating out of the high post but you know he looked like he at least like could take a couple of dribbles and hand off if if needed it's really going to depend on his defense that's going to be the key can he protect the rim move his feet show some ability to defend on the perimeter i think he showed enough offensively to me that i think 
that that part of his game can be adequate for a center it's just a question of whether you know you really want him out there anchoring your defense and i thought he showed some signs to be sure obviously he's going to be quite at the back of the Clippers big man rotation this year they are loaded but it looked like a, a solid pick at 27. I also liked what I saw from the other Florida State guy they drafted Terrence Mann he went 48th overall and you know was probably more of a swing man sick listed at 6'7 215 and when perimeter players get drafted when they fall to the mid-second I always kind of wonder well what's wrong with them because they're so valuable around the league and I thought his athleticism was fine. He was was hitting shots at a decent rate, shot 33% from three in Florida State, though you do have the worry with this, just like there are other guys with it, where he was a much better shooter his senior year and then was like hovering around 30% before that. And so that's always kind of the, was it a one-year or not? Well, and it also just wasn't a, a very high attempt rate. Right, exactly. And he only, he only attempted five three-pointers in 80 minutes as a Clipper in summer league. So I, I still, you know, I liked his effort. You know, I, I thought that he showed more athleticism than I expected. He um, had 61% true shooting despite that one for five from three. So, and, and he averaged almost six assists a game, which was surprising. Had some had some nice plays. So I, I liked what I saw. And again, like I talked about with Isaiah Roby, you're looking more for flashes than anything else. And I liked it overall. Yeah, I thought he was able to get into the paint, draw the defense, make things happen. But the things that happened were both good and bad. You mentioned the 17 assists in three games. He also had 12 turnovers in three games. He had basically the highest turnover rate of anyone that I can recall, 38% turnover rate. Uh, I thought his handle and vision were impressive. I also thought his feel for finishing around the basket was really impressive. Gets great extension, gets his shoulder into guys, extends the ball away from them. His touch was solid. He was a physical as a driver when he was able to create the initial separation then he could get his shoulder into guys and bump him off legally to get to the rim part of the reason he turned it over so much he just get trapped under the basket a lot and just have nowhere to go and then i thought his passing accuracy was quite poor at times where he despite the six assists a game he was would try to throw it out to shooters and it just wouldn't be on target it would be this looping pass where the defense could close out it make the guy move so he couldn't shoot it get the pass deflected so that's something that i think uh, he needs to work on we mentioned the you know not looking to take the three one thing that was incredibly impressive was his springs on the glass oh man his defensive rebounding was shocking yeah he was just skying over guys he was nine percent offense rebounds last year at florida state a similar rate uh, this summer league no he just turned 23 in october and the fact that he's still really pretty much just a non-shooter as far as the nba concerned with that advanced age is a little bit of an issue but he's got nba athleticism he's got feel you know, if he were two years younger, I'd be really excited about him because it, I think he has a lot of natural things that he brings to the table. I just had hoped that the feel and the discipline and the shooting ability could be a little further along. But, you know, there's no reason the guy is the 48th pick. We should also talk about... Uh, and I, I did, however, uh, prefer him more when he was played by James Earl Jones. <laughs> there you go. We should also mention Jerome Robinson, lottery pick last year, 13th overall. The guy who wasn't Shea Gilgis-Alexander that the Clippers picked in the lottery last year. Yeah, and isn't Landry Shamit either. And isn't Landry Shamit either. The good news is that Robinson, you know, he was one a big part of why he was drafted was his shooting and he hit 46% of his threes. It was 10 of 22 in 90, 94 minutes. But I just, I've just never really seen it with Robinson. And part of that is just that he, he doesn't really convert his twos. He, he was seven of 26 on twos. And that comes on the heels of 49% last year below water assisted turnover ratio. And 
he only got to the line six times in 94 minutes. That's not great. Yeah, I thought he showed okay effort defensively. He was six out of 20 out of pick and roll. And to me, you know, he's not a great athlete. He can be adequate defensively at best, I would say, if he brings it. But probably profiles more as at least a mild defensive liability. I see one of two paths to success for him. One is duplicating the type of game that his teammate Landry Shaman has, coming off the screens, just being a bomber, and... Well, he looks comfortable taking the NBA three, looks comfortable taking it from deep. You know, I think he is a, a plus shooter. If that's just all you are and you're not a great shooter, you know, I don't see him as like a 40% three-point shooter necessarily when he's open. And if he's not going to be just coming off of screens, really causing trouble for the defense that way, which, you know, I thought that's one possible pass to success for him. But, he, you know, that he wasn't used that way. He was used that way more at the NBA level than he was here. And then the other one is that he just becomes like a real fill-it-up guy out of pick and roll. And I'm not sure he's good enough at getting to the basket, getting to the foul line for that. You mentioned the struggles from two. You know, he is able to get into the mid-range, get a shoulder into a guy, illegal, at least for now, forearm into a guy, back up for a step back two. But, you know, that's not going to be a bread and butter for any kind of team at the NBA level. And he's okay as a ball handler. But again, you know, it's not really a passer at all. Seven assists in summer league. He's also not really, you know, his quickness is average at best without a screen he's not able to create separation he had a couple of isos really that didn't go anywhere from up top he was able to do a little bit better when he had the size advantage closer to the basket so i I can't see say that i saw a ton to be very encouraged by certainly the clippers have plenty of other guys on the wing including shaman i mean once shaman got drafted i mean he does many of the same things as robinson but just is much better in basically every area except perhaps handling the ball so and they don't need they got plenty of guys who can do that so maybe robinson would be a trade candidate another possible option decline guy although the clippers don't profile to be either a cap room team necessarily or a so close to the tax that it matters team so maybe they'll just go ahead and pick up that third year option but i could see him being a part of a trade package i don't see where he fits in with this group at this point in time yeah that's pretty much where i am on it too all right well we can wrap up here with a reminder a to follow me on instagram at nate b duncan if you want to see the rest of my trip i'm down in philly uh east coast isn't as awesome for the scenery but i'm gonna be heading back west soon enough got about a little less than two weeks left now my wife has already gone back so I, i'm soloing it just visiting some friends but we'll, we'll uh be, go to colorado utah get some uh some better gramming done and uh finally i want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by blinkist which uh gives you the t- key takeaways from thousands of best-selling non-fiction books condenses them down to 15 minutes you can either read or listen to them on your commute 10 million people are on there and they are continuing to grow self-help business health history any kind of non-fiction book you can think of you can get 25% off your first year at Blinkist.com slash Capspace. Don't forget that slash Capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.